what have I seen the captain? Um, uh, uh, don't think so. Oh, that was some oh. chef down in Engineer. Have you seen the captain? Eh? Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slock, Stardate 66. Um, these are the continued voyages of this podcast with me, Eddie, and Mark. Um, as we watch all of Star Trek. Uh, how you been doing, Mark? How you been? Uh, yeah, I, I'm good. Uh, I uh, What have I been doing? Um, not a lot. Oh. <laughs> how are you? Uh, I saw Blur at Wembley. Yes. All an all timer, to be honest with you. I like. I forgot how much one how good Blur are. Two how much I love Blur, and three how many bangers Blur have. I don't think I've ever seen a crowd that big go as mental as they did when Phil Daniels popped out of a tent on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, part life. It's a banger. And I also got told that according to um, uh, an interview that my friend read. Uh, Liam Gallagher said in an interview that he doesn't really consider Oasis Britpop, which might be (laughs) the most delusional thing I've ever heard from a human being. Because Britpop is defined by three bands, right? Okay, and it's Blur, it's Pulp, and it's Oasis. And you know what? You could make make an argument that Pulp doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Um, I've I've heard that Blur gig was incredible. Um, yeah. Here are my feelings. I will argue with anyone that Blur is the superior band to Oasis, right? Yeah. The problem being is that I'm not, I'm not not a music person. That's that's unfair to say. I do like music, right? I just don't get that into music. Uh, and sometimes when bands have similar names or have songs that maybe kind of sound similarly in the same genre. I can't tell. I don't know what songs were sung by Pulp and what songs were sung by Blur. Like, <laughs> when you said Blur, uh, my brain went to... My brain went into my mind palace to find Blur and it was filed under the band that you think sings Park Life, but you're wrong. <laughs> no, they do and then on Wrong was underlined and then you said they sang Park Life and, and my little inside guy in my little mind palace had to do like a camera take and like pull out a little highlighter. Uh, to figure out what he was going to do, and the only re- and and the thing is, right? The only reason I have I say that is because I think Blur simply have to be better than Oasis. But at the same time, I talk a lot of shit about Oasis. I don't even know that much shit about Oasis. This is just how determined I am to have an opinion on something. <laughs> my my view on this, and this is the the music fan bollocks in me coming out of this, which is um. Uh, there are two reasons why Blur is superior, and one is that um, I was uh, well, I was up one night, um, and you know, like sometimes Channel Four would like have a music video premiere at midnight for some reason, just yeah. randomly on, um, and it was like, oh, they're showing the new um, o- Oasis song, and I think it was off the fourth album, and it was the importance of being idle, and I was like, oh, so you haven't musically developed at all from your first three albums, so fuck off. Right, that's my feelings on Oasis. But then also, I feel like you could best sum up, because um, this is the thing about Blur. I I think Blur are amazing, but I'm not even certain that they're Damon Albarn's best band. <laughs> Whereas nobody's going, oh, I prefer li- li- High Flying Birds to Oasis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was someone, that, that was quite an interesting thing that was said about the, about a live Flying Birds uh, <laughs> gig was it Jerry Cinnamon or someone of that caliber sort of one of these sort of up and comer kids that 
made a bit of a splash because he said to the BBC during an interview something like, there isn't a single person at this gig who would rather be at an Oasis gig. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like to be fair to to Liam is um he has he does say on stage, now we're gonna play the songs that you came here to hear. Uh, and that's Oasis tracks. Yeah. And uh he has also he also is the person who had a, a who gave Tom York from Radiohead a big telling off where he was like, Look, Tom, you can be as musically developed and interesting as you want to be, but all of these people paid money to hear you some creep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of bands that go, oh, we don't like that song. And it's like, okay, well, give all the money back then. Uh, <laughs> give all the money back you made from that song to everyone who bought it and um, just move on. Terrorvision, done not playing tequila. Uh, <laughs> what? But the thing is as well, before that Blur gig, on the Saturday, I saw Iron Maiden. Now, Iron Maiden are good. And they played six minutes to, um, like, come play with Madness, which is uh, worthy of note, not from a musical perspective, but it's worthy of note that the video to come and play with Madness that they did play on the big screens is the last appearance of Graham Chapman. Uh, Right? But they didn't play six minutes to midnight or bring your daughter to the slaughter. And I was like, well, why why am I here? I'm saying (laughs) it. Everybody else in this gig who has probably seen Iron Maiden 400 times is having a lovely evening listening to your obscure B-sides. But I, I came here for three songs, mate. <laughs> and you only played one of them, so... I had that with R.E.M. <laughs> I went to see R.E.M. at Loch Lomond and all they did was their new album stuff. And it was oh. like a big outdoor festival gig and people started throwing bottles of piss and honestly, I think it was deserved. Uh, Emma is is genuinely still angry about the fact that we went to see Placebo, and Placebo entirely played their new album and only played three previous tracks. And it's not that that annoys her; it's the fact that they were selling merch for songs that they didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm not a big believer in the Mandela effect, right? But uh, I do have like there is a Mandela effect that takes part takes place in my life, and it's a very specific example but it has happened more than once, which is that I am convinced that some musicians are dead when they're not. <laughs> I only recently found out that Michael Stipe of R.E.M. didn't die about eight years ago. <laughs> I distinctly remember that being the case. Uh, uh, <laughs> although the big one was, uh, I remember hearing that Preston from The Ordinary Boys was dead. Right, okay. And then one day I, worked, I was working in a cinema and he came in to see the movie with a date and he handed me the ticket and I looked up, I tore the ticket, I looked up, I saw him, and I I looked like I'd seen a genuine ghost. And I can only assume that he thinks that I'm a big Ordinary Boys fan that was just happy to see him. You, you should have just, you, I can't believe that you had an opportunity to say something to somebody, Preston, I thought you were dead, right? <laughs> and you didn't take it. But to be fair with Michael Stipes, uh, if you put a baseball cap on Michael Stikes, he looks like he's got leukemia. So I can see why you'd think he was gone. Wow, uh, <laughs> it's, oh. it's true. The, uh, Michael Stipes is, uh, is one of the few bald men I know, uh, like I know of, who I don't think has taken to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, it and he's been bald for, I would say, ninety percent of the time he's been in the public eye. Uh, so, so it's not like he can get a wig. But maybe he should consider hats. That's all. <laughs> Speaking of bald men in places that they shouldn't be, yeah. um, Captain Picard visited one of Riker's top ten fuck planets. <laughs> yeah, I think that what we what is important to do this week, Mark, is after last week, what we did is we spent an entire episode talking about an Indiana Jones movie that had some time travel bollocks in it. So instead, we should talk about this episode of Star Trek that is an Indiana Jones movie with some time travel bollocks in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love this episode. I think it has incredibly strong characterization that relies on what you know about the character of Picard that's been established so far, which is we know that Picard loves archaeology, and we know that Picard loves his Dixon Hill adventures. And therefore, this sort of bollocks is exactly the sort of shit that he fucking lives for. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you, can't, you can't force him to go and sit by a pool when he's constantly being propositioned, although... <laughs> he shouldn't have had the hog on. He shouldn't have had the hog on. And, and, and the... <laughs> like, like, 
This was so Riker. Riker. Uh, by that I mean my Riker, uh, and by that I mean, of course, my fiance Laura. Um, <laughs> pointed out that this Star Trek occasionally ages pretty badly in some respects. Now it's obviously still head and shoulders above most things, but, yeah. she, but she was saying this episode is very. This is this episode really, if you boil it down and watch it in twenty twenty three with fresh eyes, is Captain Picard goes on a lad holiday by himself. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. The, bit, the bit where with Riker, I can't remember what he says, but he's like, "Oh my god, you go there and the sunshine and the food and the drinks and the and then him and Picard both go women." <laughs> I like it. He says women, and Picard's like, "Of course, <laughs> of course, that was what you were going to say, Will." Is this a to be fair? This is the first. Is this the first time we know for sure that Picard gets laid? Um, um, which is so that's three seasons in. Yeah, he gets laid once, which is sig- the inverse of Kirk. <laughs> yeah, and even Pike gets laid in Strange New Worlds season one. Yeah, uh, he, he, he's 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 getting laid twice. Yeah, uh, it's strange you weren't season one. Um, I don't know how that works out with it being because it's a more committed relationship he's now in with uh, Captain Bacall. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, but I say the calf hasn't that... got time to fuck. He's too busy being an old timey <laughs> private detective. <laughs> and do you know what? See if that's what the future holds. I welcome it. <laughs> right. Um, what I love about this is, so basically the plot of this is Picard gets sent on a holiday and instead of having a holiday, hijinks ensue and he has a, a wacky, in, in a weird way, this is the most dated part of the episode because what happens in this isn't dated in terms of its attitude, it's dated in terms of this is just what every episode of mainstream television was like in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just wanted to do Romance in the Stone. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's Indiana Jones plus Magnum P.I., yeah, <laughs> um, but I love that Picard doesn't want to take the holiday, and basically Troy is like, "Yeah, Picard's burnt out. He's had these trade negotiations. It'd be really hard. He needs a holiday." And then Bev it turns turns up and is like, "You need a holiday, Captain." And like Riker is like, "You need a holiday." And um, what eventually pushes Data's him like, "What's a holiday?" <laughs> <laughs> what eventually pushes War tells him... us a really inappropriate story about holidaying <laughs> on Klingon. Playing on space. Yeah, I'm surprised there isn't like Worf didn't suggest hunting for Targ, uh, yeah. <laughs> like with a spear. But what eventually pushes Picard to um, leave is that Troy says, whilst they're in space dock getting the ship refitted, a mum's gonna visit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that Picard can't see through that; it's that he calls Riker into his office and he's like, right. Is everybody in on this? <laughs> yeah. And Riker's like, well, I believe there are two Ensigns um, down here moving, which I, I think is actually a reference to us. That's uh, exactly what, what I said. <laughs> That's you guys. Which yeah. is annoying because they haven't been informed that we've been promoted. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was it when she said, oh, That's you two guys. I turned in for a straight face and went, We're lieutenants now. <laughs> We get promoted once a season. Yeah. We'll be at we'll be admirals at the end, and then we're going to get demoted um, and put and somehow sent back in time. I... <laughs> well, getting demoted back down to captain—that's what happens to Kirk. <laughs> oh, your ultimate punishment is you have to be in charge of that spaceship you love, <laughs> <laughs> doing that thing that you enjoy, rather than all that stuff that you've spent three movies telling us is fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> And Picard comes along, well, why don't you just take a holiday to a fuck planet as well, Kirk? <laughs> Kirk's like, you know what? It's not a bad idea. I've right. R- Riser has a statue of Kirk. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel it's a real missed opportunity that the, the Horgon isn't just a small statue of Kirk. <laughs> the, only... <laughs> the reason that they have a statue of Kirk is, uh, is that basically he... he... He ran through so many loyalty cards uh, <laughs> that they were like, we'll just put a picture of him up. But then uh, one of the people that worked there is blind, so they made a statue so that they can tell who Kirk is. Because uh, <laughs> a very inclusive holiday destination. <laughs> it's all right. Um, 
if you can look at that statue, it's all brass, but the, the 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 groin is really shiny because apparently if you stroke his groin, that gives you good luck. Yeah, and you get free Horgan. <laughs> so I think I, we should discuss what the Horgan is. Yeah, in case right. <laughs> so the Horgan is um, it's a sort of little statue uh, that if you if you sit it by you, it means that you're looking for someone to come and do the jah- Jamaharon. Jamaharon. <laughs> Yeah, which is like, never it's, it's, Yeah, it's but, fucking. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's it's wearing green at a traffic light party if you're a student and you did that sort of thing instead of having a personality. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but, but and you 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 sort of keep this. It's a little indicator. But the thing is, Picard makes mention to have purchased it. Yeah, who the fuck did he buy it from? Because later on, he just picks one up. Because Riker, Riker has told him he wants him to pick it up and get it for him as a as a souvenir, um, assuming that Picard would do what all people do when they buy a souvenir, which is then put it next to your sun lounger for the entirety of your holiday. Yeah, why did he do that first? <laughs> Just get a fridge magnet, mate. Maybe they don't have fridge magnets in the future. Oh, that'd be horrible. I'm very, I'm very curious who he buys it from. Is there, is, is there just some is there just some fucking bus boy standing next to them and he's like well is this your shop and the guy and that kid's like uh, yeah why not man I can, I can make some money <laughs> off this and he's like yeah this is definitely my shop what can I do for you Picard looks down there's a big statue of Kirk in front of him Picard's like there's something awfully familiar about this um, <laughs> picks up one of the statues and he goes is this a Horgon it seems to be the only pick upable thing on this entire planet <laughs> Are you and suggesting that this was a point-and-click adventure? And yeah. just mouthed around until it went, Horgon? Actually, this episode would work as a point-and-click adventure. Yeah. <laughs> this is very a very LucasArts episode. As soon as, as, soon as, the, first, uh, as, soon as the first woman comes over to proposition herself to your player character, and you're just like, uh, Jamad, what was it, Jamadar? <laughs> Uh, no, the Jem'Hadar are the are foot soldiers of the Dominion. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the Jem'Haron. Jem'Haron. Um, I, 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 I think it says that. I, look, I was running out of space on the line and it's very squidged in. If that was a point-click adventure, there'd be an entire generation of young boys that didn't get by that part of the game. <laughs> and, then the, and then the other half of the people that played it, they, pre- they pressed Jem'Hadar... Um, and then the Dominion, unfortunately, had to have Riser. <laughs> and only Picard was there to hold them off, and it didn't last long. <laughs> Neither did this fucking other thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so the, the, the plot of this is um, there's, a, there's a Ferengi hanging around, and there's a, there's a mysterious femme fatale. And I do like that we've had a little break um, from tradition with the Ferengi here, um, because normally the Ferengi are a quite uncomfortable Jewish stereotype, and this actor uh, decided to fight back against that by making this Ferengi a very uncomfortable Asian stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I did wonder that. That was uh, that, that certainly. I, I I wondered if that was me. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's a weird. reference to a very specific character from the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Which I, I can figure that maybe an actor would have gone, oh, it's a bit like the Maltese Falcon, this, and then done that. But then I think somebody else on set should have gone, no. But it was the 80s, and we was we were still... We hadn't reached the, the what I like to call the, um, the Fisher-Stevens line. Um... Because okay, so basically, I I say I have a belief that Fisher Stevens in Short Circuit Two was the last time it was acceptable for somebody to put on brown face in a non-ironic fashion. And let's open it up to calls. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly when society when we're not doing that anymore. That's, <laughs> that's terribly uncomfortable. They were kind of like, are we we're stuck with him because we put him in short circuit one, but we we can't make a short circuit three. Not, <laughs> not, not, not with this guy. Because at least at least John Reese Davis's Salah is just a little bit fake tanned. Right? He's been he's been fully grandfathered in and they have him under a bad light. And he's just doing a voice. And it, it, it's never been made clear whether or not he was a white man who just happened to live in Egypt. 
<laughs> so, yeah. But this is before that short circuit two happened, I believe, and therefore this is still acceptable for somebody to go. I'm going to play it Asian, and nobody on set went, "Don't, don't do that." Do literally any other thing. <laughs> do you think? I don't know a lot about the the background behind Short Circuit One. I haven't really looked into it. It might be one of the few movies I've never looked up the trivia section on IMDb for. <laughs> uh, mainly because you don't see it on television anymore for some some reason. But, um, <laughs> Nobody Gutenberg, man. Was, Nobody likes Gutenberg. <laughs> was oh yeah, Gutenberg's in the first one. That's right. Is Gutenberg in the second one as well? He's he's not. He's replaced by oh my god. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's an absolutely. It's one of Spinal Tap. Oh, um, is it not just one of the fucking? Is it not just the guy that replaced him in a Police Academy? And he just claims <laughs> the same character. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish it was. That, that actor made a career out of replacing people because he also replaced them, the guy who diagnosed murder. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, I'm it. Let me, let me just check. Yeah, it's Michael McKean. Michael um, McKean? Is it? Yeah. It, right, okay. Uh, yeah, I could so, that. He could hang about with uh, Johnny Five, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's believable. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, yeah. So anyway, it's a, yeah. There's a, a, a Ferengi and a, a femme fatale. There's a, an item on this planet that it's got like it's a, it's a time traveler left it there, and if you throw it into a star, it'll explode the star. Uh, yeah. And and as such, it's very valuable. Um, it's also here's some fucking inside knowledge. Uh, it is the actual definition. Of a MacGuffin, yes, it people is. People use MacGuffin wrong. Uh, well, I mean, language evolves. Use it however you want. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to call the police uh, because you you don't understand what a MacGuffin is. But um, in its original form, a MacGuffin had to be something that the characters in the story wanted, but the audience were basically incapable of caring about because they don't understand what it does. Yeah, for example, the Holy Grail in Indiana Jones is not a MacGuffin because there's a very clear reason and it has a plot its significance it used at the end to bring like save his dad right but the Maltese Falcon is just a, a very like if it was worth a lot of money that's why they want it it has no value other than like to a plot it's not going to do anything it's not going to blow up it's not going to end the world but the Maltese Falcon is a fantastic movie <laughs> oh and so at the beginning of this we're on Riser and then two aliens sort of beam in yeah, fish people. Fish people. Well, they, yeah, sort of fish. And they were really impressive looking aliens. Yeah, um, really good, actually. Really good for Trek. And they started walking around just asking people, uh, is, is is Picard here? Is Jean-Luc Picard here? Uh, and the wee boy that, that charged them for the fucking statue later was like, no, nope, never heard of him. I don't know what you're talking about. Please don't tell my boss. Um, <laughs> and she's asking the receptionist and they're like, no, no, no. There's, maybe a, there's, a, there's a guest book to be here next Tuesday called Jean-Luc Picard. And I'm like, does... Did GDPR not reach space? <laughs> we've we've gone over this before. If if anybody can just make a version of you in the holodeck to do whatever they want to, I just think people are fine. Uh, and also, it's, he's a Starfleet captain. It's not like they're ever under threat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh, they're the, from the future. Those they're aliens. from the future. Yeah, they're from the twenty seventh century. Yeah. Um, and the device, they're either looking for it, or and the thing is, somebody basically, the guy from the future built this thing that could blow up a star. Went, oh, shouldn't have done that. That's that's valuable. And then the time travelers, and so, and then he hid it in the past, and the time travelers won it back. Despite the fact, that if you've got time travel, assuming you assume you could travel like another seven hundred years into the future and find something vastly more powerful, uh, <laughs> and not fuck the timeline in the process. Oh. Yeah. So. But yeah, um, and the femme fatale is Vash, uh, who yes. I I love. She's a great character. She uh, becomes a bit of a recurring. I feel like I've seen a Deep Space Nine that has her in it. She is in three episodes total. There are two more um, uh, TNG episodes that she's in, and then she is in one Deep Space Nine episode. Where, right. Yeah. Um, and um, I looked her up because I was like, she's because I've kind of got her down as being a, a that like somebody who's been in a lot, 
but it's yeah. kind of because she's one of the very few recurring love interests of Picard. It wasn't Bev. It's just it's just this that she's known for. I did find she is in the Buffy the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode Homecoming, which is the one where Mister Trick, the vampire, um, has hired a bunch of assassins to go after Buffy. Um, uh, and it's also um, she's competing with Cordy uh, to see who's going to be um, uh, homecoming queen. Uh, uh, yeah, she's a teacher in that episode. Um, it's a good episode. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Mr. Trick is an underrated Buffy villain because um, he was working for the mayor, and everybody remembers the mayor, and nobody remembers Mr. Trick because he's yeah. just a vampire. And the mayor turned into a giant snake, uh, <laughs> and also was a mayor. Yeah, so just had, just, just threw his political weight around. <laughs> it was really yeah. good. It was really interesting. The episodes of Buffy that were a bit like Succession. That was, <laughs> that was my jam. Yeah, but yeah, like I say, this episode's very Indiana Jonesy yeah. because it's got the whole like crosses, double crosses. We're looking for an artifact. I, I really, really enjoyed this. It's it's it, it feels really different. There's very little sci-fi in this, other than the time travel bollocks and the aliens. Yeah, um, but to be fair, as we've learned, you can put that stuff in literally anything, and it's fine. If you're making a series of adventure movies about a man with a whip, you can still put aliens and time travel in them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I like the. Uh, I didn't take a lot of notes during this. I think I just enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I like I like Picard's backpack. I was about to say I like the little backpacks that they wear, <laughs> even though they seem. Massively impractical. There's a reason that backpacks are made of fabric and not of yeah, just a metal box. We've the, the I like the implication that between now and the future, we're going to discover the technology that makes backpacks better is is making them metal boxes, as <laughs> if we we don't have all of the technology to experiment with that right now and see that it's not as good. <laughs> I'm certain people have made metal backpacks in the past and then they put them on and gone, no, no, this isn't as good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like the way it conforms to my back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> according to this, according to Alpha uh, memory, <clears throat> memory Alpha, Yeah. Patrick Stewart took credit for having thought up the idea of Vash. Quote, I said I've got a feeling our audience might like to see the captain just getting blown. Away by meeting someone new. <laughs> Emphasis mine. <laughs> I I am a big fan of the fact that Picard uh, Picard is a classy man. He's a man of refinement. He's yeah. a man who um, believes in the finer things in life and believes in civilization. And the first time he gets laid in Star Trek, he has filthy cave sex. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a move as well! By the way, just uh, right. Well, it's time for bed, and then pulling out the magic orange thermal cover on the ground oh sorry I only brought one double I hope that suits I'm just going to crawl into my side <laughs> steal all the covers what a move classic pick up artist Jean-Luc Picard and then and then, like so they wake up the next day they can't have showered so Picard like reeks of fuck for the rest of this episode and that's important to note because yep. um, <laughs> because he probably still smells of that when Riker finds him <laughs> and which causes Riker to just sort of lift one armpit and have a little sniff <laughs> just in case Deanna's not happy with Riker this episode no because it's probably he... something to do with the fact that probably for about three days <laughs> he was just constant any type of card I should recommend Riker was like listen how can I convince you to go to this fuck planet that I will not stop talking about yeah and specifically talking about how flexible the women are on this planet which it it seems like it's that's look. I I know that like in Star Trek we broadly sort of paint certain alien cultures with a broad brush. Um, we have to because of the nature of the forty-five minute yeah. storytelling format. Yeah, um, certain cultures, ones of the alien species that we've spent a lot of time with, we get to know a bit more. But I I refuse to accept that every woman on Riser is an incredibly flexible unstoppable fuck machine I <laughs> then there must be at least one person who's like I'm just trying to read <laughs> it's Picard um, it was uh, maybe it's an evolutionary advantage 
Right, okay. I don't know what for. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> I'm not a biologist. We, we've made it very clear we are not xenobiologists no. on this show. Not even um, close. No, we can... Well, I don't even know what the evolutionary advantage is of having a bumpy nose or pointy ears. So um, I'm at a loss with most of the Star Trek races. I'm going to be honest with you. What do uh, you... Um... What do you think the time di- uh, the the, tem- the temporal prime directive has to say about all of this? Right. So this is where things get a bit weird, because the aliens from the future say that they think Picard will have the thing at some point, and then at the end of the episode, spoiler alert: at the end of the episode, Picard gets Riker to blow it up with the transporter, which. I guess is something the transporter does. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's a button that O'Brien uh, added. Right. So, and then the aliens go, oh, well, th- we were trying to steal that. And the historical records say that you destroyed it. So we knew you had it. Yeah. Now, there, there were two ways to read this. One, they were lying. They knew he destroyed it and they were coming back to try and get it before he destroyed it and change the timeline. Or two, him destroying it changed the timeline so that they were telling the truth in both instances. Um, but I don't know. Um, and just for the record, I'm not saying that O'Brien put in the blow-up button because he's Irish, yeah? I haven't <laughs> written a series of best-selling children's books. <laughs> right. Um, I'm... So yeah, I, I'm a bit because the device is from the future originally. So yeah, I don't know. This feels like it's a bit like how the uh, time travel agency come after Loki, and he's like, "Well, the Avengers have done a lot of time traveling," and they're like, "Yeah, but they were supposed to." Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? What that was written into the story, and it's like, "Who? By by who?" And he goes, "I know." Stanley and Kirby, I don't know. Listen, Loki, (laughs) what you have to understand is that the Avengers movies made us a lot of money, uh, (laughs) and that this is essentially a giant roll of the dice. Yeah, It'll probably work, because you're a handsome man that people fancy, but uh, we we truly have no idea, so we're just going to start bending our own rules. This whole thing is canonically decided by a robot called Kevin Feige, um, as established in She-Hulk, so who knows? Uh... (laughs) Apparently they're cutting back on stuff. Good. That's what that's what Bob Iger said. Well, he also said, "Oh, I'm glad I've got paid 150 million anyway." You writers are being unreasonable. Um, and but then he, he said, "Yeah, they made too much Star Wars and Marvel stuff, and it dilute, diluted focus." And it's like, yeah, 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 maybe it did a bit. But also, I want a Hawkeye season two. I haven't even bothered with uh, Secret Invasion yet. It's all right-ish. We've got a lot of TV. <laughs> And uh, luckily, we now have a pause on TV so that yeah. we can all catch up. <laughs> yeah, it's all right-ish. It's no Strange New Worlds. No, uh, but we did phenomenal. We're about to finish Succession. Oh, which is I I think one of the best TV shows I've ever made. I've not seen it. It's the hype is real, man. It's it's incredible. And I've heard it is a good show that ends well, which is yeah. Like I've yeah, not, I, I've not ended it yet, but I no, think it will. Because I like the end. Because I Breaking Bad's pretty much the last thing that did that. Because I've been a bit burnt by Game of Thrones. I think that's the problem. I don't want to invest my time in anything until it's over. Now we're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to waste seven years of my life caring about these characters only to find out one of them's secretly a crab or some shit. Uh, yeah, I feel like the the Handmaid's Tale isn't getting my constant letter writing campaign. Uh, of just of just demanding. Listen, we we get it. Her, can we just see more of the admin? Yeah. Can we just see more of the of the of the weird fucking society and laws that you've decided to put up? Uh, and I, 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 I to be I mean, wording it like a manifesto probably wasn't the best idea. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm but yeah, that's that... that's fucking that's gone too long, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Wording, I'm certain that if you worded your manifesto for what you think Gilead should run like, then that's going to get you on a watch list. You know, this is what I think the world should run like. But it is not, if you don't make it very clear that you mean 
the world of Gilead in A Handmaid's Tale. Not <laughs> if you accidentally go, I think the world should run like this. All of the women should be slain. <laughs> See, there's a, the thing is, right, there's a character in The Handmaid's Tale played by Bradley Whitford, and he is, uh, he's sort of one of the head guys at Gilead, but he isn't a true believer. He doesn't buy into the religion. The reason that he is in the position that he is in is that he is the economist who came up with the theoretical paper of how to save the economy by basically enslaving all the women. Um, right, okay. And as soon as that was revealed, I was like, there... I, I don't know what the crossover of people would be uh, who would, <laughs> one, watch The Handmaid's Tale into season four long enough to get to that character's introduction and tell us what he did, and two, be like, do you know what? I could give that a go. <laughs> Put <laughs> that in his thesis is, or something. Uh, I like the idea that it's like, I don't believe in any of the religious stuff. I just happened to work out that this is... A, like, it's like, what, 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 but why did you work that out? <laughs> well, listen, I just, I was just sitting there, I was doing the maths, and I realised, oh, the world would be a better place if exactly 52.3% of the population just stayed at home. Now, if only we could find a correlating... Uh, you know, trait in a person uh, that could... That, that, that exactly match that, match that percentage. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, fuck, there's only 30% of black of black people. Can't do them. Uh, just just work, work your way down a list of my... Try that. People weren't happy about it. <laughs> so it's a guy going, well, no, can't do it to the Jews. No, that's, that's horrible. Can't do it to black people. Mate, is it women's turn again? <laughs> What do you think? What do you think the, the people on Riser do that don't work at the fuck camps? Um, that's what you don't see. The rest of their society is fucking grim because it's all built in service to the fuck camps. <laughs> yeah, everyone else no, lives in super brutalist architecture. No, the truth is, it's probably all done by robots. Because because that's the thing. Once you've invented the replicator, you don't really need to do anything as a society. And if you've got simple machines to go farming and getting fresh food and stuff, you, which you can easily make in Star Trek, you can send a hologram out to do it. I don't know it works. But you can do that stuff fairly simply. So it's fairly easy to, like, this is the sort of lifestyle we should have. Because, because and I cannot I cannot believe what I'm about to say is a statement that is, is, is something that needs to be said. But I think it does, which is, if you're automating jobs that humans can do, you should probably, you know, automate... I know plumbing before you automate creating art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it is one of the signs of uh, human arrogance uh, that we often write that we write a lot of sci-fi uh, that explores the idea of what will happen when we join the global community, and I think it's weird. That no, that, that, that there aren't more people uh, writing about Earth just becoming space Ibiza. <laughs> yeah, I could very much see Earth just becoming. If if all of medical ailments are cured, um, and like in the Star Trek universe, like the average human lives to be like 150 or something like that. They they they've made that clear, and all of like your food, you just walk to a magic box in the wall, and all your food and drinks come out of it, and go, and then. Like they go, oh, and then your people are are free to pursue, like the arts and stuff like that, and and they take that to mean O'Brien's got a cello, right? But but what I'm asking is, why do we never see like TNG's version of Avicii, where he's just like, right, what I've done is I've put a bluegrass groove <laughs> with the EDM, and listen, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think it's more likely that people would do that, and then a lot of people would just want to see that and do drugs. And they should do it in a ho in the holodeck <laughs> and do that thing that they did in the Orville, where they put themselves on top of a fucking asteroid or something. <laughs> yeah, that'd be banging. That's what I'm going to do in the future. Event plan. I don't do I don't do it now because the, my my, uh, my ambition can't match the physics. Unfortunately, we, of, the, of the current world, we we so in the oh, opening, yeah, gig in the heart of a volcano. In the in the opening of Strange New Worlds, um, we see a lot of very beautiful 
very strange, very new worlds. Um, like there's a lot of like clips, and we don't really see the Enterprise going to these places that much in the episodes. But every now and then it does. And what Strangely Words has really done is just gone, look at these breathtaking, weird alien landscapes. I don't like that. But just once, I want them to arrive in one and just be like, well, what's going on over there? And it's like, well, yeah, this guy is like, discovered this place is beautiful. Uh, it's always about twilight sort of thing. That lasts for about nine hours on this planet. Um, it's exactly the right, it's room temperature at all times. Um, it's absolutely lovely. There's a very fine rain that comes along very on the 15 minutes. So, um, yeah, he's just having a, a, a techno festival. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think if Gene Roddenberry was still alive, the opening credits to Strange New Worlds would be the Enterprise, Enterprise doing flybys on these Strange New Worlds? And we just, every single one of them, is just a, a group of bikini-clad women just waving at the ship. And then they came in one day and they saw that Gene Roddenberry had knocked up a rendering uh, just a, of, a, of one of these planets, uh, but all the women were frozen. <laughs> um, and they'd be like, oh, that's great. We'll put that in. The angry release snatches a bite. And he goes, that's just for Gene. So I, I want to say something specific about how this episode starts. And this episode starts with a woman wearing a bikini. And, uh, and there's a top over it, which is basically translucent. And she's walking along. These two aliens beaming. She sort of just nods at them and walks past. And there is more or less a tracking shot yeah. following this woman's ass out of shot. And the moment she's at the top of the stairs and her ass is basically centre frame, the words appear on screen, executive producer Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, if you, if you wanted to wean someone off of Fast and Furious and onto <laughs> TNG, this is the episode to do it. Now, if you want to do that, you showed them um, the, the Star Trek J.J. Uh, Abrams movie. Yeah, no, fair enough, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you think, right? Because obviously you're, you're right. It has been three seasons and we've only just gotten a love interest for Picard. Do yes. you think there was a bit of a reticence to give him any love interests because he's quite old and that's why we brought in Riker <laughs> as the new Kirk? Um, I don't think there was... I, I don't think there was any reticence. I think that they didn't... It, to be fair, there's not been really a natural pl- point to bring a, a, a love interest in. Um, they, yeah, they, because the whole plot of this fucking episode is set into motion by the fact that everyone's like, uh, "Captain, you you don't fucking you don't ever just fuck off and leave us alone, do you? Like you're, <laughs> co- you're constantly here. <laughs> no one, that, what, Worf's constantly cracking jokes when you're not here. Do you know what I mean? And then you are here and they can't do it. He's a really funny guy, and I do like I do like all of uh, Picard's holiday suggestions are like well there's a, a symposium at an institute and then like it's like everybody's like that's not a holiday and it's like first of all what are you to tell the man what to do with his leisure time yeah. um i also quite like the fact that his books a selection of books is is ulysses just a sort of you know that book that book that no one fucking reads <laughs> that book that people like to have on their shelf so you look at it and go oh you've you've read ulysses and you go well, I, I've attempted to, and it's like, and and we're all supposed to think that's a great work of literature—a literally unreadable book, right? It's, it's an attempted <laughs> real-life horgon. <laughs> you put it out so that people will come attracted to your bookshelf. I, I, no I do that. I buy, I buy books not with the intention of reading them, but because I know that having them on my shelf will make me look smart. <laughs> I've got just got a massive pile of books that I'm like, ah, oh, I don't remember when I used to have time to read. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's like, I, yeah, I, I don't like that all of his, like, basically, they're trying to send a man whose best idea of all of There's surely there's a library planet somewhere. Yeah. There's got <laughs> to be a place where it's just like, yeah, it's a massive fuck of library. Uh, is it filled with shadow monsters like that one Doctor Who episode? No, it's not. Uh <laughs> And Picard's like, uh, Will, is there, is there not a library planet that you could recommend? And then Riker goes to speak and Picard kind of shuts him down and realises what Riker's idea of a library planet would be, <laughs> which is just every porno set in a library. Yeah, but then I imagine planet. in Star Trek, I could believe that Picard falls in love with a foxy librarian. That's a, a nice doable plot. But yeah, I, I think Vash should have turned up more in general because she's only yeah. in one more TNG episode. It is a great one, uh, without giving too much away. 
it is a recur- it is it is not just Vash who returns in that episode. There is another returning character alongside it, and it makes it fucking fantastic. Um, but I think they should have done more with it. I would have liked them to have like it would have been great to have like the the occasional. It's like O'Connor, yeah, um, who should have returned more often. I I I, I commend. I com- the things that I commend TNG in general for not having too many recurring characters unless they're like direct relations to the, the cast. Yeah. Or like people within the command structure and stuff. I kind of commend them to go, look, space is fucking big. You're probably not going to run into people. But I do think we could have done with a few more bumping into people episodes. Okana for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like not too often. If you do it too often, you ruin it. But. Star Trek occasionally needs a Han Solo character. I think if you'd done a, a Kana and a, a one Akana and one Vash episode per like season, yeah, I think you could have got away with it. And I think that the the brilliance of that would have been that in the final season you could have the Vash is screwing somebody over, selling archaeological things, and the big reveal is it's Okana. Uh and then you got that would, and then you do like a two parter where they're like running around some archaeological site, like. Okada's trying to explain quips to data. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I can't get mad. At one point because... he's like, throw me the idol. And data's like, idol. And he's like, it's a reference. <laughs> As he falls down. A... <laughs> yeah. But I can't get too mad because very soon we do run into Gowron as the emperor of... Um, and I love him. I love him. He's the best. <laughs> Just wants to murder and stab everyone. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, I think you could have done more with Vash. I think if you'd have yeah. Vash as like a recurring character, you could have done something with her in... Like, I think maybe if you'd have like eventually... Like if you dump a card, he's with Vash. And then have the awkwardness of having to explain that he's got a son with Beverly. Um, which I assume you had a talk with his girlfriend about. Because like the entire second season of, of Picard is about how he needs to fall in love with that Romulan woman. Yeah, and then and then the entirety of season three is ignores that she exists. <laughs> Good. Uh, I don't really have any more thoughts about this episode. It's just it's just a, a pretty good one. Yeah, in, in terms of it being a MacGuffin, yeah, um, the, the thing they're after, it's literally a big diamond. Yeah. Yeah, and and also it, uh, to anybody who wants to know the exact plot, they go, they go to look for it. It's not there, and then Picard later on is like, "Well, you've got got it already, haven't you, Vash? Because there's you only wanted me and the Ferengi to see that you'd dug for it, and it wasn't there, so that we'd be witnesses to leave you alone. And then you could go flog it. It's, and it's Come a great on. bit of a great bit of well, very Dixon Hill. He uh, should have put on his little hat. <laughs> For when they go someplace, dress up in the big computer box. <laughs> it is amazing that in over 200 years, no one has uh, improved on the shovel. <laughs> They've improved on the backpack. Yes. We, we've got to just get a butter thing. Hey, I'm going to say this. There must, if you point a phaser, like if phaser technology can't be used to dig. <laughs> but there are no guns on Riser, except for that one that Ferengi's got. But then they take it off him and then they throw it in a ditch rather than. No, they just throw it in a ditch. Yeah, rather than keeping it for when, he, for when he inevitably catches up to you. Um, I've, I've only one other thing in my notes to talk about, which is I like the fact that Vash at the beginning, when she meets Picard, pulls what I've put an enemy of the state on him by slipping the disc <laughs> into his pocket. Um, and that is a reference to a very good, very, very good Will Smith movie that you should go watch. Uh, do you the, the only thing I really remember about Enemy of the State well there's two things I think Freddie Prince Jr. is in it um, uh, are you thinking of Jason Lee yeah that's him yeah the Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> of Scientologists <laughs> and uh, uh, the it was it was a it was a bizarre bit of product placement for the the PC engine handheld gaming device which was supposed to be a rival to the Game Boy yeah it was it came out 10 years too late yeah it was about the same time I think like yeah it was it was trying to be the N-Gage but it was too early to be the N-Gage and the N-Gage wasn't particularly successful it was kind of it was kind of like the Sega 
a thing that we didn't get over here, which was the Sega Nomad. Oh, which yeah. was a Mega Drive that you could plug actual Mega Drive cartridges into. But this thing, you could plug... Um, had a different name in the in Japan. I think it was called the PC Engine in the in the U, in the US, uh, and you you could plug those games into it and take them on the go, and play them for about ten minutes before all hundred and twenty six batteries ran out. Yeah, unless you had like a car battery with you that yeah. you could plug it into. Kids it's don't like, know how good they have it these days, man. No, you don't. No. And the Game Boy was so successful because the you battery don't. life on it to to a, to a sizable child audience. You don't know how good you have it these days. <laughs> You've got two TV shows on TV at the moment about dogs. Have they? Yeah, Bluey and uh, Dougie. Okay. <laughs> Bluey's about a little dog that learns lessons, and Dougie is about a sort of authority figure to this group of fucking I've, animals I've, that he hangs out with. I've heard from I've got I've got friends who've got kids, and I've heard that Bluey is. Hilarious and by turns heartbreaking. Oh yeah, that's uh, what, yeah. what I've heard. Which is yeah, it's the Pixar of of kids shows. But yeah, yeah. The problem with this is it's a genuine, it's a good episode, but yeah. it's not like it's not a sci-fi one. There's not no. like a big issue or idea that we could talk around. It's just like just like would you would you would you have a, a nice weekend being an international man of mystery? It's a holiday from being a Starfleet captain. Yeah, imagine a Total Recall that had no, um, like, really no repercussions at the end, uh, and uh, the the stakes maybe seem a little bit lower. And everyone only has the two boobs. <laughs> from from the minute Picard arrives on Riser, you could pretty much just watch an episode of Magnum PI, and then at the end of the episode. Just go back to the when Picard arrives back on the ship, and it'd be like, "Yeah, that was a lovely holiday." Being, <laughs> oh. oh. But also, just as a recommendation, you should watch the Maltese Falcon, and you should read the Maltese Falcon. It's a great book. And it's a fucking fantastic movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you've ever won, if you've ever watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1991, and wondered where they got the hat and coat disguise from. I think it might be the Maltese Falcon. I don't know. I know a lot more about that movie than I do about the Maltese Falcon, which really should say a lot about me as a self-described movie fan. Yeah, it's I, like, can, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you who directed the Maltese Falcon, but no, I do know no, that the great Steve Barron, the late great Steve Barron. <laughs> I'm only saying that because I don't know if he's dead. <laughs> I just want to cover my bases. He directed the original Ninja Turtles movie. Although I believe he uh, didn't get to finish it. He was... Uh, he got fired. Oh, really? Yeah, probably for making it too violent. <laughs> too much have like you... the Maltese Falcon was the, you... was, the, uh, was the note that they got on the top of every day's uh, script revisions. Uh... <laughs> Make it more like Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and he goes, we don't understand why you've got Humphrey Bogart in this. He's supposed to have four turtle people. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it when they dress up like Humphrey Bogart, because that's just four turtles dressed up as four Humphrey Bogarts, which makes complete <laughs> sense to me. Oh, yeah. Anyway, good episode of Star Trek. You should watch it while it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting close to some of the very best episodes of this, though. Yeah. 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 Very, very close. Yeah, anyway, bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.